0: I was totally planning to do a few races, even on chemo, and then as soon as I started chemo, I was like, oh.
1: Welcome to Socks with Stories, a show about inspiring stories of resilience from patients, survivors, and family members. I'm your host and fellow survivor, Jake Teitelbaum. As a cancer patient, I couldn't stand the poorly made hospital socks, so I started a company. Resilience Gives, to make fun, better quality, non-sip socks, co-designed by children battling cancer. Over the last four years, this cancer community has repeatedly shown me what resilience is all about, and this podcast is about sharing their stories. In today's episode, you'll hear how a soft tissue sarcoma temporarily derailed Campbell's ski racing career, and how it led to her advocating on the national stage. For increased funding of childhood cancer research.
0: I'm really into ski racing and yeah, and then that kinda leads into my like cancer journey is that like I went to U sixteen nationals, had the best time, and then that summer is when I started I was like going into the next level is U nineteen or it's called FIS. But so I was preparing for U nineteen, then that's when kind of like my symptoms started coming on. But I honestly didn't know they were symptoms. I kept training. This was the summer of 2017, and I just kept training and training and training. I even went to a ski camp in Mount Bachelor for three weeks. When I got back from that, I started feeling like I pulled my calf muscle. So I went to my athletic trainer. He was like, it's a pulled muscle. We'll just Like rest and ice and recover from that, and no running, like no lifting, and so I actually like it felt normal after a few weeks. Like I was like, oh, it's all better, and my leg is fine, and so I went on a thirty-mile backpacking trip, and my leg was like swollen, but we just assumed it was from um, my pulled muscle before, and it got better. It was so weird. Like it would get worse and then would get better. So we just thought like, oh, I keep pulling my leg. We'll be more careful. And at that point, I was like, okay, there's something wrong because my leg was always swollen and the athletic trainer was like, okay, you need to see a doctor. So the same, that same day when he told us we needed to see a doctor, we drove over to my pediatrician's office and she felt my leg and i think she knew immediately that something was really wrong but of course she kn- she didn't tell me that which is probably good she was just like you ne- i think we should get an mri as soon as possible and i think she like left the room called over to the hospital and was probably like yeah you need to see this girl like tonight and we actually got an mri that same night that we saw our pediatrician it was like a Seven, I think it was like a seven p.m. MRI, which is pretty funny. Cancer was nowhere in my brain at all, like nothing like that. I was at worst thinking it was it was compartment syndrome, because that's kind of a common thing in sometimes, like mostly Nordic skiers get compartment syndrome in their calves, but I'd heard of it as happening in alpine skiers as well. So I that was like my worst case scenario. After I got the MRI. They didn't tell me the results. They actually just sent them straight to Children's Hospital in Denver, so Children's Hospital Colorado. And then a team from there called us and and was like, you need to come down right away. So the very next day, we drove about two and a half hours to Children's Hospital Colorado, where I met my orthopedic surgeon, and kind of that team and they still didn't know what it was cuz it was a it was like a soft tissue mass not a mass of my bone so they were like it could be benign it could be cancerous and then they scheduled a biopsy the next day and I still the whole time I was like oh it's benign I've heard of this happening to like other people where they have benign masses and I was like there's no way it's cancer and then I had the biopsy done the next day, the next day. And the first thing they told me when I woke up, I was like, is it cancer? And then they were like, yes. And and that's all I kind of remember. Like I remember crying, but after that, I think it's like just so much of a whirlwind that you almost don't remember what happened. And from the from the biopsy, um the pathologist they were thinking it was either rhabdomyosarcoma or ewing sarcoma and then so they biopsied it and it came back with ewing sarcoma and then my um oncologist who i met like right after that she was like i was looking at the pathology report and i think it might actually be something else and she was like do you want to send your tumor to memorial sloan sloan kettering in new york and get like a a really in-depth diagnosis and we were like of course yes and so she was like you can start chemo tomorrow but we it might not be the right chemo reg- regimen because you might have something different and or she was like you can wait a week and just like go home do whatever you want for the week and then come back and we'll have the official diagnosis so that's what I did I just was like okay I'll just have a week like at home which was so nice and I I like had to tell all my friends. I just remember my sister was like, you want to go on a bike ride? And then she took me on this killer mountain bike ride for like two hours. And that actually put my mind off everything. That was like on a Saturday or Sunday. And then on Monday, we went down and they found out I had, it's like the most awful name. I wish there was a name for it, but it's called Sick Duck 4 Sarcoma. And... So technically, it's, like, a very strange mutation of Ewing sarcoma. Like, obviously, it doesn't really have a real name. It's just some letters and numbers. We had only heard of 10 other people in the world having it, which was definitely overwhelming for me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. People say Ewing's and rhabdomyosarcoma is rare. And, like, yeah, they are. But I was like, this is, like, a whole other level. Literally, like, the day before I got diagnosed, I actually got a call from my coach saying that I got moved up into the performance group. So there's like kind of different levels in my ski club where they have like, it's called the core group, and then there's performance. And so I was in the core group, which they call it now. And then, so I got a call saying I was, got moved up into the performance group. So I was like, oh, so happy. I was ecstatic. And then I got, then they emailed me cause I could, I qualified to go on a trip to Europe in the fall to Saas Fee in Switzerland. So, like, I had all my like my eyes set on that. That was the goal. Like, I was going to Switzerland to ski. I was so excited. I think one of the first things I said when I was diagnosed, I was like, "Can I still go to Switzerland?" (laughs) Like, that's all I wanted to go. I mean, obviously, it didn't happen, but it was fine. I was like, I eventually got over it. I was like, I can always go later. Like, at first, I was like, okay, this will be easy. I'll still be able to race this season. I'll still be, I was totally planning to do a few races, even on chemo. And then, as soon as I started chemo, I was like, oh, no. Like, I can't race at all. Like, you kind of get hit with it, and then you understand. All the girls in my group, one of them made little stickers that everyone put on their helmets. And, I, like, I absolutely loved that. And, like, we we just called it, like, Team Campbell. And we all had, like, matching stickers and matching neck gaiters to wear on the hill. And they all seriously, like, stepped up to make me feel so included. Which is hard because ski racing, yeah, you're on a team and all that. But it's, like, when you get down to it, it's an individual sport. Like, it's you versus the timer. But they acknowledged that I still wanted to participate and still wanted to be like involved with everything so I actually became they called me coach Campbell so I became like the athlete coach I guess that was like amazing I wouldn't have made it without being able to do that and I honestly learned so much from just watching as well like it's such a different perspective that you kind of see like how everything works and you learn all these different techniques and tactics that everyone is working on. And it definitely gave me like a whole different perspective about ski racing. After I was diagnosed, they told me I had sick duck for sarcoma. And obviously, it was really rare. And they said that um, there's no actual standard protocol. So we decided to do the Ewing sarcoma protocol because that's what we had heard about. And my this is actually like, Amazing. My oncologist happened to have a year before she happened to have a girl my age diagnosed with the exact same cancer. And to find like we only found 10 people, and to have it that my oncologist treated one of them was kind of insane. And we were like, so we were like, okay, we know what to do, we'll just follow her plan. And so At the beginning of my treatment, I got, we decided to get my stem cells rescued, or I guess taken out just in case, because um, even though like a stem cell transplant is obviously not standard Ewing sarcoma protocol, we, it was like a good backup option to have. So I started on the Ewing sarcoma protocol, which is 14 cycles. I think it's of ice chemo, which is. I phosphamide vincristine cyclophosphop- cyclophosphamide and then the other half of it is doxorubicin. So that's what we were like set on doing. We're like, okay, we'll do 14 weeks of Ewing sarcoma protocol and then we also did radiation which I think is pretty standard for Ewing's. So I received radiation to my calf for I did about 31 days of radiation to my calf. And then at the end of my 14 rounds of chemo, I did 10 days of whole lung radiation, but it was like a really light dose. So there was a spot in my lung to begin with. So that's why we kind of like pushed forward with doing whole lung radiation at the end because I was like, I kind of want to cover all my bases and everything, but it was like a really light dose of radiation. I didn't actually have like any surgeries my first time around. I just had like my port placement and removal, which was really nice. But during treatment, they also gave me an option to to a stem cell transplant, which was kind of like a big surprise to my family. And we were didn't know what to do because they, my oncologist was like, well, in Europe, um, it's kind of more standard protocol to do it as stem cell transplant. But here it's not for Ewings, so that's what we decided to do. Ultimately, was the continue the fourteen rounds of chemo, and then we had like the stem cell transplant plan in our back in our back pocket, which thank God because we did end, eventually end up doing that. And so yeah, I finished treatment in April of twenty eighteen, and then I kind of had like a six month period where I slowly recovered and. Like I started to get back in the gym and I did like a ton of gym work. It it sucked so hard because like coming back from chemo, it's like you're back at ground zero again. Like you have absolutely, I felt like I had absolutely nothing left, like no muscle mass, no. So that was definitely like a learning experience was trying to go to the gym post-treatment. I guess a way to put it would be like, Just going to college for like a whole semester, but being kind of like stuck in your dorm room the whole time, so you can't like do anything. Like, I think it's kind of like that where you come out and you're just like, oh my gosh, I have no stamina, I have no muscle mass. And it was like an example, I guess, to way to put it is that for me to walk up the stairs to my room, that was exercise for me, like, that was, was hard. And I would have to walk up the stairs and then immediately sit down on my couch and like take a couple minute rest just from going up the stairs. And like that summer when I was off treatment, I I got to go to Mount Hood with my team, which was like honestly the best thing ever for me. Like I almost didn't care how I skied because I was just so happy to be back training. My coach was just like, okay, we'll start with doing 10 turns and then a break and then we can move it to, like, 25 turns, and it worked, that worked, like, amazing, and soon I was able to do, like, short sections in, the, in a course, and eventually, like, move back into big gates, and and then at one point, I was even able to, like, ski a full course again, which is, like, a 55-second, um, it's hard, and I think that was, like, a really proud moment for me, it was when I could finally ski a whole course again, without having to sit down or stop and take a break. In April, after I finished treatment, like, I didn't want to go to the gym when there was other girls there because I was so scared for everyone to see, like, how out of shape I was or kind of how, like, weak I was. But it's like, they supported me the whole season and they were all my best friends, but I was still, like, I didn't want any of the trainers to watch me except for, like, my coach. And I didn't want Anyone to be near me because I was like, I'm working out with girls who can squat like 150 pounds and I can I can barely pick up like a 20 pound dumbbell, and I was, and like, they obviously didn't care. They were just happy I was there. But in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, everyone is watching me. Everyone is waiting to see what I can do, and it was like, I still went, but I was like so uncomfortable almost. I just have this one memory of we we were trying to do like long jumps kind of, I guess I should say like broad jumps and it was for testing. And then I like, you're supposed to do five jumps in a row continuously and like everyone could do it. It's pretty easy. And then I do like my first jump and I like completely fall on my butt. And I just remember like I started crying and I was just like, I, can't do it. Like, I can't be in this gym with all these people. And my coach was like, my coach totally understood. And then, like, we talked about it. And then I kind of, they were able to, after that, they kind of made me my own, like, workout plan, I guess, where it was similar to the other girls, but it obviously was more like baseline and it wasn't as hard. And it was stuff I can do. And then I felt like a lot better about being there after that was when I kind of was like, okay, I can do this and I can do this. And then like, if they're back squatting, I can substitute something out for that. Cause obviously I'm not comfortable doing that right now. And that helped a lot. I actually even got to go on a ski trip to New Zealand, which was like, it was like literally the highlight of my comeback the first time. And I hate saying comeback. It's cause to me, it was never a comeback, but we got to go to New Zealand and that was, it was amazing. We were down there for like three weeks. And then the day I got back, I got a rod in my tibia and then a screw at the top because my bone was so like radiation had managed to get my tibia a little bit. And they were worried that I was going to break it like either skiing or working out. And they basically told me like, if you were a chess player, we wouldn't be worried, like we'd let you go on. But they were like, You want to ski all the time and we really think you should do this. And I eventually was like, Okay, fine. When people find out I have a tibia in my rod, they're like, Oh, how'd you our rod in my tibia? They're like, Oh, how'd you break your leg? And then I have to explain I'm like it was actually a provincial measure and it was to cause my leg from not breaking, because in the ski racing world, like there's a lot of kids that get injured, or some, maybe someone broke their tibia and they all get like a rod to fix it. And I'm like, oh no, I was kind of the opposite, but I can still relate, I guess.
1: Coming up, you hear how Campbell's scans didn't go as planned. But before we do, I want to tell you a little bit about the Socks with Stories Paying It Forward initiative that Campbell is helping us with this fall. On the week before Thanksgiving, Campbell will join 49 other childhood cancer survivors who are each running a sock donation at their local children's hospital. Beyond donating thousands of fun, non-slip socks, which are very useful in the hospital, our goal is that by sharing stories of resilience, just like Campbell's, we can show other families in the thick of it that there is hope. If you want to support this initiative, you can go on our website, sockswithstories.com, and buy a pair of socks. We match every pair we sell with a donated pair to a child in the hospital. We're hoping to get to 10,000 by the end of the year. So thanks for your support.
0: And then I had scans at the end of November in 2018. And they were like, there's a new growth in your lung. And I was like, what? I would say it was actually harder than getting diagnosed the first time, which is funny. It was just almost so unexpected. I was just like, oh there's like, I got through treatment. I'm fine now. I can finally get back to my life. And I didn't ever think that it was a possibility. And then when I got hit with the news, like, it was just, I didn't know how to cope. And I was like, so upset because I had already like worked my way all through the summer, like in the gym, at skiing. And then I was literally about to compete at my first race in two years that weekend, and then it was all of a sudden like over, and that was hard. I'm still like a very optimistic person, and I'm like everyone. At first, like I couldn't even say the word relapse because I was so like, oh my gosh, no, this didn't happen to me. But now I'm just like, yes, I'm in, still in treatment and. Yes, I have, like, a spot in my lung, but for me, I'm just, like, that, like, I don't look at statistics or anything, because I, that obviously wouldn't help my mental space, and I'm just, like, if someone's, like, oh, aren't your statistics bad, like, no one said that to me, but I'm just, like, those don't matter to me, so I don't really think about it, and I'm just, like, I'm just keeping going, and I'll get to, like, a good point eventually where I'll be fine, and, I'll go to college and, like, grow up. Just to me, it's, like, not an option for anything else to happen. So on my PET scans, my calf had still been, like, having some uptake, which we, like, the whole time I was off treatment, we were just like, oh, it's from radiation, like, inflammation from radiation. And then me skiing so much, like, being in ski boots, they were like, oh, it's just your calf activity is high. But then when I relapsed, they were like, Oh, we should probably check this out, and like, hopefully it's not anything. And I was like, wait, what? They're like now you're telling me my calf is bad again? And so we actually, but did my surgeon? He's like the best guy ever. He was like, we we should just go in there and take out the tumor just in case it's still like has some active cells. And so this, like, looking back at it, like the when he told me that, I was like, yeah, whatever, do it. But I don't think (laughs) I knew how like major sur how major surgery it was gonna be. And I actually don't think he did either because we were like he came to talk to me about it and he was like, Okay, it'll be like a two hour surgery. We'll take your tumor out and then you'll be fine. And then like when they got in there, they realized that like kind of all my muscles and like nerves and blood vessels had all I guess the way to put it is that they melted together almost from radiation and he was like he said it he like what should have taken him five minutes took him like 45 just to like separate everything safely and so um my like two-hour little surgery turned into like a seven-hour kind of like with soft tissue sarcomas it's they don't really It's not called like limb salvage surgery because they're not doing anything with your bone, but they ended up removing my, uh, soleus muscle, which is one of the two big muscles in your calves. And so they removed my tumor and then my soleus muscle. And so like when I woke up, I was like, I had this huge like brace on. It was like the length of my entire leg. And then I was like, he was like. I looked at the clock and I saw it. It said like eight at night. And I was like, oh, what the heck happened? And um, they were like, they kind of told me like why it took so long. And I was like, oh, okay. And then the only thing that really mattered to me, I was like, was it dead? And then, so they send it off to pathology. And we were all kind of like skeptical because it had been lighting up on the pet. And then we got the results back that it was 100% necrotic. And I think that was like... That some of the best news I had gotten like in so long was that they were right. It was like lighting up on the pet from radiation. And like, I don't, I'm glad I had the surgery honestly, because like it's, it, that's it rests on my mind, I guess I'm not worrying about it. And, and I'm just so happy that it was dead that I was like, I don't really care about anything else. So my ankle, like, kind of froze up after that, like, I can, it was stuck in a pointed toes position, and that's kind of what drove me insane, was that I couldn't move my ankle, and they, yeah, so I was like, oh my gosh, this sucks, and my ankle was stuck like that for so long, and then I was going to PT to finally get it better, and then that's where I kind of, like, learned where my restrictions lie and all that, but, like, I, I since your soleus muscle kind of controls your balance, I guess, in your um, leg and it controls the ability to go on your toes. So I can, I can't go on my toes any longer on that one side, but I mean, that's fine. I'm not a ballerina or anything. Like I can't balance very well on my left leg, but my surgeon said that my other calf muscle, which is called your gastroc Um, would kind of like adapt and take over almost so that definitely happened a little bit and I could finally like walk without a limp so now I'm like really proud of how far I've come with the walking I guess it was hard like because you know you have to learn like they won't discharge you until you can get to the bathroom by yourself or we had a, a stair test at children's where they can make sure you can walk on the stairs with your crutches and so I had to pass that and Oh my gosh, I remember, like, the first time I went to the physical therapy room for my stair test, like, I stood up, got nauseous, and then threw up, and then I was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing it. I was on chemo. It was, like, a kind of different regimen. I honestly couldn't tell you what it was because it was so funky, but I did about six rounds of that, and then I had a drug that was, like, um, I don't know if it was still in trial. I think it was still in the trial process. It was called a Laratumab, which they actually, I don't think, give it anymore. So I was on that, which helped a lot. I know it didn't have results in other patients, but it like shrugged my tumor or the growth in my lung, like a bunch. And then I had a thoracotomy to remove that spot in my lung. I after that recovered from that, did one more round of chemo, and then I was admitted for my transplant in on March 11th, 2019, and I was, like, I had heard from other people that it was going to be bad, but then, like, when it happened, I was, like, oh, my gosh, it was awful, and, like, the first week when I was just receiving, like, my transplant chemo, I was, like, oh, I feel fine, like, this'll, I'll be fine, and then, like, on the last day I received chemo, it just all of a sudden hit me, and I, like, would throw up, like, on the clock every 15 minutes and then from there you know it just gets worse it's like you get the mouth sores and then you can't go to the bathroom or and you can't eat anything and I think like my week after like I was in I think I was in transplant for a month inpatient and it was just like it kept getting worse and I thought it was like never ending I uh, I had to get an NG tube, which was safely, like, the worst experience of my entire transplant. I We always have nurses we love, but somehow on the day of my transplant, we had, like, a nurse we didn't know with a bunch of nursing students, and I didn't really realize, like, they were nursing students, and so she was like, oh, can we do the NG tube on you? And I was like, oh, yeah, and then I didn't realize that she was going to have, like, all the nursing students try, and I, and so, like... First of all, they just, like, stick it down your throat, through your nose, you know, and I was, like, throwing up the entire time they did that, and they just tell you to drink water while you're they put it in, but it's, like, I was trying to drink the water, and then I was just throwing it up, and then they measure the pH level in your stomach through the tube to make sure it's, like, actually in your stomach, and she had, like, each of the med students do it, or the nursing students, and, like, my mom was not happy at all, like, she was like yeah that's never happening again and i was just too miserable to say anything that was i hate ng tubes and i'm sure like all the other cancer warriors out there who have had an ng tube would say the same thing just like getting them placed is a miserable experience and then it just feels so weird in the back of your throat like that it like they said it takes a while to get used to but for me i think it i like refused to get used to it i was like i hate this i'm not having this in my body And I refused to talk because I could feel it against my vocal cords. And so I was like, I'm not talking. And then I didn't talk. And like every time I moved, I could like feel it. And so I lasted for about, (laughs) I did not last very long with the NG tube. I threw it up after four days, I think. And then they were like, oh, we can place another one. And then I just straight up refused. I was like, no, I'm not getting one. and. So they agreed to do TPN, which is like liquid food through my line, which they don't like love doing, but it was only for a short period of time through my line. And then I was like able to get, um, released and start eating a little bit more and more every day. And so I'm just glad I didn't have to get it placed twice. And then it didn't help that it was my second semester of senior year. So I like completely missed that but luckily I didn't have that much school work to do um so I like literally got discharged and then since I live over an hour away from my hospital they wouldn't even let me go home after I was discharged so and that was really hard for me because I was just like I want to go home and see all my friends and go to school and like have enjoy the rest of my senior year but then being told like I wasn't allowed to leave an hour radius of the hospital was miserable. Like I stayed in this apartment. It was literally like 20 feet from the hospital. So it was like through a really awesome foundation and all that. But like, I think they understand that I probably, I didn't want to be there. And I was just like, like every day I was just asking if I could go home and all that. Cause I know you're like, you're supposed to wait till day plus a hundred. And like just counting down those days was not fun, <laughs> like we were supposed to be planning graduation and everything, and I was like all doing it from down there, but the one good thing is that I think my uncle just like understood how badly I wanted to go to graduation. I think, like on day, like fifty ish, maybe a little bit after that, I asked them to measure my lymphocyte level, which was like kind of to see if I was above the level that I needed to wear a mask and like and it came back. The number I needed and I just remember I was like so excited for that because they actually like let me go outside and without a mask on all the time which was so nice and then they gave me special permission to go to Vail for my graduation and so I got to do that and it was amazing like I am so glad I pushed for that because I don't know what I would have done if I missed my graduation or like kind of missed like I was able to have a little grad party and all that and so I'm like so thankful I was able to do that. I thought the first time I went through treatment was hard like recovering but stem cell transplant it was like you get out and you're so happy like you said earlier like you're just so happy to be out that you don't realize like how bad shape your body is in, like how much it's been tormented and like I thought I would like be able to walk out of the hospital and like, go home, and, like, I couldn't walk 10 feet, I couldn't, like, I was, like, put me in the wheelchair, we went down to the car, and then, like, driving, we drove, I asked my dad to drive me through the city, because I, like, wanted to see something, and I just remember, like, driving through the city that night was, like, being someplace I would like, absolutely never been before, it was, it was so weird because I was like oh my gosh I'm looking at a building like oh my gosh I'm looking I'm like being in a being in a car was really weird because I was like whoa like I haven't been in one of these in a in like two months and it was just kind of like that and then more like on the recovery side was like I literally like getting out of bed was so hard for me because my body wanted to sleep so much that like I was going to bed at nine o'clock at night and then sleeping till like 11 in the morning. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to go walk to my bathroom and brush my teeth. And that was like a hard task for me, which like, obviously now it's like so funny when you're off treatment, like you look back and you're just like, what? I couldn't walk to from my bed to the bathroom, but it's like, when you're in treatment, it's impossible. And then I was still attached to a bag because I was on the TPN food. And so like my goal was just to be able to start eating like a small meal every day so I could eventually get off the TPN. And that was another thing that was so hard for me because I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to eat this bowl of cereal and then I'm worried I'm going to throw it up. So transplant was just It's just like when you think you've hit rock bottom, but it it just keeps going, I guess. So from there, I kind of like really slowly recovered over the summer, of course, like being really, really careful and all that. And then like again in November, there was like a tiny, tiny growth in my lung. And yeah, so that was frustrating. I was like, oh my gosh. But so that's why I'm kind of on like a maintenance it's not maintenance, like, I guess I consider myself in treatment right now, um, but, like, from that, I just had it removed, I did some more radiation, which worked, and, uh, so now I'm just kind of on, like, I, I actually am on a backpack chemo right now, which is kind of funky, because that's not a thing they do for most people, especially kids, but, so it's so nice because, like, I literally can just stay out of the hospital and carry my little backpack around for 10 days. And then I just can, like, deaccess my port at home and, like, have a week off. So that's the kind of like a plus side to it, I guess, is that I'm not receiving inpatient chemo and I don't have to go to the hospital every day. Like, I can just do it all from my house. They do scans every couple I would say like every month my last two scans we haven't had any new growth which has like been really awesome for me because it's like easily it's easier for me mentally knowing that like the radiation worked and then obviously the chemo I'm on is keeping everything like obviously nothing new is growing so the chemo is working because like I've like I was on this really weird oral chemo this past winter And then, like, I did scans and the oral chemo wasn't working. And so that was, like, a really big stressor for me because I was, like, oh, my gosh, I feel like there's no more options. Even though with, like, sarcoma, you can literally, like, there's just so many different, like, it's good that I'm an adult now because I can kind of, like, dip my toes into all these different, like, newer drugs, I guess, coming out. But, um. And so now we kind of just like experimented around and then found that this backpack chemo worked really well for me. And so now it's like awesome that we found something that's working.
1: Coming up, you'll hear why Campbell started the Ski Fast Foundation and what they're doing to support other families impacted by sarcomas.
0: So I started Ski Fast to help other kids with sarcoma cancers to pursue their passions, whether it be like in the arts or sports or even like in college. So stuff like that. And we provide scholarships twice a year. So we have our summer scholarship period and then our winter. And our winter one actually opens up on September 1st. So I'm excited about that. And then so kids can, they just send in their essays and then they say like kind of what they need help with. And the sarcoma community is close. And I don't know, I was just like, I really want to do something specifically for sarcomas. So I had like my first ever scholarship period this past summer. Like everything gets approved by the board, you know, but like from, uh, I'm designing everything. So I was like, okay, I know what questions I want to ask and I know how I want to do this. So I like publish my like scholarship And then I posted about it in all the sarcoma groups on Facebook and then kind of word got around and I had kids apply. And then the summer I was able to provide uh, four kids with scholarships to like pursue their passion. And so that was kind of like the goal was like, I want to hear like what got you through treatment and like how we can help you get there so we did four scholarships and um like one of them was a soccer player and he wanted to kind of get back into soccer and do like a soccer camp and then the other one the other little boy was is a monoskier and so he wanted like ski lessons for monoskiing in Jackson Hole and I mean it's hard to find a monoski instructor because you're sitting down and get to be trained in that, and so we were able to, like, provide him with a scholarship to go um, get ski lessons in Jackson Hole, and I think just, like, being able to help other kids like me is something that's actually helped me get through treatment, like, now, and it's, like, I've applied to so many scholarships, and I know when I receive them, it's, like, one of the highlights of my like, month like I'm so excited and I'm so proud I got the scholarship and then being able to be the one giving them out it kind of gave me like a new perspective like oh my gosh th- these kids are probably feeling how I feel when I get something and it was like I'm so glad I'm being I'm able to like spread the gift to other children and so I mean like it it probably helped me so much like just mentally and like even physically I would say because I was like up every day one like I was like organizing my website and like figuring out what I want to do and it just like pushed me to wanting to do something while I'm on treatment yeah so like I honestly wasn't that involved like it's kind of crazy to think it's been three years since my diagnosis or like I've been in like on and off treatment for three years because the first two years I was kind of just like going through it and like obviously I knew there was other kids out there but I never was like I'm ready to go like like I didn't even probably know that there was cure fest or lobbying to DC or anything I was kind of just like getting through treatment and all that but then this time around like when I started ski fast and I realized like how many other kids are out there and like even just on Instagram I started finding like all these other advocacy kids that like I had kind of known about for a long time but I had never like followed them or met like introduced myself to them. And so I started kind of like doing that on Instagram where I was like following all these other kids and then um, I followed who did I follow? I followed Dance Hope Cure, which is kind of an umbrella of Arms Wide open Foundation and then I just saw a post that they were looking for summer interns. And I was kind of like, why not? I want to get more involved. And like I kind of want to meet other people. So I just, like, shot them an email. And then I became an intern. And I think that's when it, like, really took off was, like, I just provided the first round of scholarship recipients for Ski Fast. Then I just got this internship. And I did, like, a story with another um cancer warrior who was, like, almost the same age as me. And from there, I was like, okay, I know what I want to do. And, like, so I started posting more about, like, sarcoma on my Instagram because before I, I kind of just ignored it. Like, you could tell I was bald in pictures, but I never was like, oh, I have cancer. No, I have this. I was kind of just, like, posting. And then in July, I did, like, a post for Sarcoma Awareness Month that kind of, like, got it got shared around a lot and that kind of made me really happy it was to see like that people like understood what i was saying and that they were willing to share it and so then i started kind of posting more about cancer i guess and then i with the 2065 I started like emailing them like what i've been doing in my community and i decided i wanted to do like a local walk in September because it's childhood cancer awareness month. So I want to do like a local walk in my community. And so I've been like organizing that. And it's definitely taught me a lot because it's like, I have to apply for a town permit so we can walk through Vail. And I have to like, think about what everyone should wear. And like, if I want banners or flags or posters or all that. And so I've been having so much fun organizing the walk, like I'm literally counting down the days till September because like, I'm so excited to get out there and like march through my community and spread awareness because I feel like so many people here, like have absolutely no clue about what's happening. And like, I hope that I can just spread awareness here on a general front because I know there's other kids in the Vail Valley that have gotten diagnosed with cancer, whether they're like way younger than me or I mean, I haven't heard of anyone the same age, but it's just like, Maybe they'll see what we're doing and reach out to us and then we can help them. And so that's just been like so fun is organizing this walk. I'm just so happy I kind of got into it because I wasn't ashamed of having cancer or like I like everyone knew I had cancer. But like I was like, Mom, I don't want you to post anything on Facebook. I don't want you to like like I was so picky about like, who I would give my updates to, like, I only had, like, like, I would give, like, kind of just, like, oh, I'm in chemo, like, but I'll be fine, and then with, like, these five close people, like, my ski coach, my, like, three best friends, and then, like, my parents, I was just, like, I would tell them what was really going on, kind of, like, okay, like, I have a surgery tomorrow to, like, remove this tumor, and then I'm getting scans the next day, and then they would like reach out to me because they know scans are so stressful, but I wouldn't tell anyone in general, like that I was going to get scans or anything. Like I just wasn't ready to share it. But now I've kind of found like, I really like to write. And so now I've been doing kind of blog updates and I actually really enjoy it. And then I know people don't worry as much because like, I know everyone's asking my mom, like my mom's told me that like, she's like all my friends' parents always ask how I'm doing and like all my relatives want to know about now with like my blog they can all get updates and they I know they don't feel as worried and then I think there's less pressure on my mom to keep telling everyone what's happening well so it's like that has really helped and it's like now I'm comfortable saying like oh I have scans next week and then I'll share the results later but like it's kind of crazy how before I was just like No, like no one needs to know just this summer I've been like I've been wanting to get so involved in advocacy like that's what I've been doing every day all summer like I emailed so many people about like um I've emailed a lot of different brands about how September is like childhood cancer awareness month and um what else have I been doing like I've been writing to all my senators and I wrote to my governor and then I just submitted like some letters to the president about like kind of childhood cancer month coming up and awareness for that. And I mean, I know most of the time I won't get a response because it's hard. Like the white house probably receives so much stuff every day, but it's like good for me knowing that at least I'm trying to talk to them or like, at least I'm informing them about what's happening because then I'm like, at, like, at least I'm doing something. Before in treatment, I was kind of just like, going through, but now I've realized, like, I'm one of the lucky kids. Like, there's so many kids that didn't make it or aren't here anymore or, like, can't advocate, and I feel like I've been given the opportunity to kind of be their voice, and it's, like, I don't know what I would do with myself if I was quiet anymore. I'm still here. I'm still fighting. I need to use my voice for all these kids that aren't, and there's just no other way I would be doing it anymore. It's just, like, I have to speak out.
1: If you want to continue following Campbell's journey and see some of the incredible advocacy work she's done, we'll have links to the Ski Fast Foundation website, as well as her social channels, up on our site at SocksWithStories.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Our goal with the Socks for Stories podcast is to become a resource for families impacted by cancer. So if you have 30 seconds to review us on Apple Podcasts, it really helps us get noticed. Thanks for your support.